If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. In World War II, Britain wasn't only fighting for survival on the battlefield. In fact, fields of all kinds were crucial to another fight, the battle against starvation. In today's episode, Professor John Martin speaks to Emily Briffitt about the food shortages the government faced and the mission to ensure that Britain was well fed, touching on the invention of some familiar myths about bread crusts and carrots, pig clubs and digging for victory. So today we're going to be talking about Britain's battle against hunger during the Second World War. So to get started, I want to ask you, how did you get into researching this? Coming from a farming family, I was always very interested in the transformation of agriculture during the Second World War. Um, My grandfather was a butcher in the war and he had many interesting recollections about the way in which food shortages uh, proved a major problem in the Second World War uh, and in particular the way in which um, the the butchery was uh, uh, transformed. The farms we'd visited, uh, it was also evident that that, um, these had been... um, completely revolutionised by the experiences of wartime control. We uh, live in Leicestershire, which was the county which was most dramatically transformed by the wartime ploughing up campaign. Farming and uh, butchery was completely transformed by the war because uh, with the, uh, the the rationing of meat, there was a commitment, a really a necessity, to uh, allocate what supplies of meat w- were available uh, as fairly as possible. Uh, and also, um, uh, one of the big changes which took place was that um, wild rabbits, uh, which were re- regarded as like um, poor man's chicken in the 1930s, now became an acceptable part of the diet. Uh, rabbit, the rabbit population was really out of control in the 1930s and during the war there was a a major attempt to uh, reduce the rabbit population and this provided a vitally important source of meat which many people uh, actually uh, enjoyed or at least uh, they they found it uh, relatively appealing. So I'd like to bring us back to the beginning of the story. What problems did those in charge of supplying our food face at the start of the war, at the outbreak of the war? Well, Britain faced much more acute problems in terms of food supply than any other country. Uh, Approximately 70% of its food was imported. 
in, in the late 1930s. And so consequently, with the challenge or uh, the threat of uh, a siege economy developing, Britain could literally have been starved into submission. It was necessary for the government and the Minister of Agriculture to implement a food production campaign, which uh, occurred on several different fronts. Um, th- there was the classic example of the Dig for Victory campaign, where large numbers of people were encouraged to dig up their gardens, acquire an allotment, grow their own food. And more importantly, but perhaps less extensively documented, was the wartime ploughing up campaign, where farmers were directed to convert pasture land into arable cropping. Pasture land produced relatively few calories per acre, uh, very little food, in comparison with arable crops, which produced large numbers of calories. And in effect, with the wartime changes in the diet, with the shift from eating meat uh, to eating uh, um, cereals and potatoes, uh, this led to um, uh, the ability uh, to uh, ensure that Britain wasn't starved into submission. How does our food production and the fact that we produced so little of our own and imported so much, how does that compare to other countries at this time? Well, Britain was um, uh, exceptional, indeed you might actually say unique. No other country came anywhere near Britain's dependence on imported food in the 1930s. Many countries, many European countries were producing a a fairly significant amount of their their own food. Uh, In the case of Britain, its historic commitment to uh, free trade, allowing um, uh, imports of food from the 1870s in in exchange for uh, markets for its manufactured goods, meant that by uh, the the 1930s, uh, Britain was very, very heavily dependent upon imported food. And I guess with such heavy importation, it very much brings us to these two campaigns, the Dig for Victory and the Ploughing Up campaigns. Yeah, these campaigns were uh, crucially essential if Britain wasn't uh, literally going to be starved into submission. Dig for Victory was certainly the the, 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 the best well-known campaign. And it was a campaign d- designed to encourage people to uh, dig up their garden, gardens, acquire an allotment, to grow some of their own food. And it, it was also complemented by the idea of encouraging people to keep a few chickens or even participate in, in, a, in a pig club. Could you tell us a little bit more about those pig clubs? They, they sound really interesting. Well, pig clubs were basically where um, uh, a group of individuals could um, uh, share the idea of collecting their food scraps together. Um, particularly if you lived in the countryside, they, they might uh, 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 they might acquire a, a, a pig, at least a small pig, when uh, when it had been weaned, uh, keep it for um, uh, several months if. Uh, uh, until it was fat, then it would be uh, uh, killed uh, and the food shared out uh, amongst the, the people who belonged to the pig club. Technically speaking, when the pig was killed, it should have been uh, actually under the supervision of the uh, a local policeman who ensured that uh, 50% of the meat would be sent to the Ministry of, of Food uh, and the other would be shared by the members of the pig club. Uh, what One individual uh, I interviewed a number of years ago uh, described in great detail it as a, a young boy. He remembers the policeman turning up to observe the killing of the pig uh, or uh, maybe we ought to put pig in... Um, in inverted commas, and he uh, he noted that the policeman said to him, you can tell your dad that's the biggest pig I've ever seen. Indeed, it's the only pig which has two heads. 
And it transpires that uh, the, the the policeman had, in, had allowed them to kill two pigs instead of one, and in return he was uh, going to receive a share of the produce. I'm not sure how common this was, uh, but uh, it was described to me in graphic terms by a person who had actually personally witnessed it. How much do we actually know about how enforced things like this were sharing amongst the community or sharing amongst others and not just sort of siphoning off your own private rations? Well, the the black market economy was certainly quite widespread. It is very difficult to precisely uh, quantify uh, how extensive it was. After all, it was an illegal activity. Uh, But certainly you would see that... um, uh, official suggestions say, for example, that about one in three eggs was actually uh, going into the black market economy. Uh, commercial egg production uh, declined by approximately two-thirds during the war. Uh, this was because of the fact that um, eggs um, didn't necessarily contain a, a great deal of nourishment for the amount of food which the, the chicken consumed consumed and it was deemed essential to try and divert as much food as possible directly to consumers as opposed to actually processing it through livestock Um, so you get a major decline in commercial egg production which is to a very limited extent um, offset by the fact they've encouraged people to keep a few chickens for their own use and that there's a lot of instructional leaflets issued about the way in which um, the eggs could be collected about keeping uh, more productive chickens and actually how to kill the chicken um, when it, when it's um, uh, egg production days were, were virtually over. Um, the, 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 the point I cited about the lice and eggs going into black market economy uh, may be an exaggeration. It was a, an official uh, calculation which I came across. But certainly you would suggest that uh, the black market system was a lot more extensive uh, than uh, officials wanted to indicate at the time. And what they did occasionally was to uh, find people uh, quite substantial amounts who, who they caught out in order really to make an example of them for the rest. The sanctions were mainly in terms of uh, fines imposed on the uh, on the individuals and obviously with their names being published in the, the newspapers it was meant to kind of like a, uh, act as a, a stigma a, 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 about the, the individuals concerned. Not really in the spirit of the war and spirit of banding together? Um, no, no, I mean uh, the, the government's got to it's got to make a determined effort to imply uh, a unity to to suggest that we're all in it together, and in reality, uh, not everyone uh, completely endorsed this, uh, this this process. Uh, the war is often portrayed as a people's war, and certainly to a large extent, it was. It's in stark contrast to the experiences of the First World War, which was really a military war where the military were in charge of organising uh, the country for war. How heavily did the government invest in promoting and encouraging this idea, this sense of unity? Uh, it, it was a major um, commitment by the uh, the Minister of Information. It's crucially essential to, uh, to, to stress that uh, we're all doing it for the collective good, and very large numbers of people uh, in, in, in endorsed this uh, process, and they made strenuous efforts to uh, dig up their gardens, to grow some of their own food, and many made tremendous sacrifices in, in the process. 
Uh, diets were completely transformed during this period. And you see, for example, the government uh, providing leaflets and instructions to people, encouraging them to eat more potatoes. Another good example was the fact that carrots, which were relatively easy to grow, um, we, we developed um, various recipes for eating more carrots. And uh, on, on a even the, the, the Ministry of Food came up with the idea that instead of having the child having a lollipop, it could have a carrot on a stick because this was the, deemed one way of uh, economising on some of the other resources which were need, needed. Um, in, in effect, we might su- suggest that the war was really kind of like um, the government's ability in terms of substitution. Uh, foods which were in uh, plentiful supply w- were actually in- encouraged by the um, uh, by the government people to eat, eat more of them. Uh, where- whereas those in short supply, uh, we-, we had like a-, a system of persuading people that they didn't really uh, need to eat them anyhow. One interesting example was in the case of um, uh, rhubarb. It cited that um, the uh, Minister of Food uh, came out with a, a-, a statement saying that uh, given the present cabbage shortage he advised people to eat rhubarb leaves instead a rhubarb as you know is poisonous and all the leaves are poisonous and and consequently it was necessary to call out the home guard in order to tell people to ignore his previous instructions blimey do we know if any of the fallout of that at all I don't know if anyone actually uh, was badly affected, but um, it was certainly the the fact that um, there's a great deal of emphasis on terms of uh, persuading people to eat uh, substitute foods. A a good example of that is, of course, in terms of the Wollerton pie, where the the Minister of Food um, developed... um, an alternative pie which was largely um, free of meat Um, they'd actually developed a pie which was completely free of meat and uh, allegedly this was eaten by Churchill who uh, uh, was in a very unpleasant uh, mood and he said send it away and bring me beef there's a major attempt to uh, persuade people to uh, eat substitute meats. Uh, I mentioned previously about the way in which uh, rabbits were in plentiful supply, that uh, um, there's an incentive to eat rabbits because they're an important um, pest, and consequently um, uh, we could um, uh, actually increase food production by just reducing the rabbit population. Uh, Children were often encouraged to keep a pet rabbit, which would, when it had grown to adult size, might disappear appear and be replaced by a small a smaller version what other alternatives were there were there any particular popular or unpopular ones that we saw well um british bread uh, in the 1930s was uh, mainly um, white bread which contained very small amounts of bran it was made by uh, actually uh, uh, using hard grain imported wheats, and with the, uh, the the shortage of these hard grain wheats, uh, the, the Minister of Food embarked upon uh, increasing the extraction rate. That is the amount of flour extracted from a quantity of grain. So consequently, you've got a, a, a bran style loaf which becomes uh, popular, or so popular is perhaps the wrong word, which becomes dominant. And people, the so called national loaf, uh, this brownish 
um, brand style loaf wasn't really kind of very, very popular amongst the population, um, but it was encouraged and directed by the government. And um, there's a, a great emphasis on encouraging people to uh, eat, eat the crust. Um, in the 1930s, perhaps the richer members of uh, the community didn't bother to eat the crust, and the government comes up with propaganda ideas like uh, eating the crust makes makes your hair curl, and uh, consequently it helps us to uh, uh, encourage the eating of, of items which previously uh, would have been perhaps less appealing. Is this the only sort of myth we see at this time, the only sort of propaganda? I, I wouldn't say propaganda propaganda i mean propaganda might be uh, stretching it a little bit um, uh, propaganda might actually infer the idea that um, we're, we're deliberately not telling the truth but perhaps the british system of uh, directing people uh, was not to tell them all of the truth or at least to put a, a positive spin on it during the war with the shortage of eggs um, eggs were very severely rationed. Um, dried eggs were imported from America. Obviously, uh, uh, if you extract the, the water out of the eggs, you, you powder them, it's much easier to import large quantities of dried eggs. And uh, there was considerable... Uh, Reluctance to have dried egg powder. The Minister of Food came up with the idea that um, with dried eggs, um, it wasn't the fact that the dried eggs powder was different to real eggs. It was the fact that the uh, the, the, the housewives were actually mixing it incorrectly. I, I think that sort of with the dried egg powder, there was considerable opposition, as there was considerable opposition against the national loaf. Um, the, the government or the Minister of Food came up with uh, large numbers of posters about the way in which, for example, uh, eating um, uh, carrots is, is really better for you. Uh, it enables you to see in the dark. It improves your eyesight. Uh, perhaps a little bit dubious, but it's a way of persuading people uh, to eat more of this food, which is readily available. In the case of potatoes, a potato Potatoes were deemed to be an energy important uh, food uh, which would uh, keep you uh, in in good health. And uh, foods which were in short supply were actually, there were kind of ways of rationalising out why we don't necessarily need to eat these products. Uh, The the war produced an unprecedented transformation in people's eating habits, some of which was uh, incredibly beneficial in the sense that uh, sugar consumption per person uh, tended to decline and uh, as we know today, uh, that eating too much sugar is actually bad for your for your health. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Minister of Agriculture also organised uh, labour camps in the summer where uh, school children might be uh, encouraged to go uh, to, to work in the countryside uh, or even in some cases people were encouraged as volunteers to spend their holidays uh, working in the countryside uh, producing food for the nation. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. What actually were we short of in terms of food? I suppose the simple answer is that virtually most items, because with 70% imported, uh, there's a chronic shortage of uh, uh, cereals, for uh, particularly wheat for bread making. We're importing a lot of uh, uh, cereals uh, which are used in animal feeding stuff, so the animal sector has to contract in order to uh, enable us to cope with this reduction in the amount of food. A lot of um, meats imported, uh, there's a chronic shortage of meat, so the, the countries which continue to supply meat uh, are actually directed to, to remove the bones from it so they can supply it in, in, in greater quantities um, new foods that emerge like um, uh, spam where processed meats are, are tinned in, in order to compensate for um, uh, the, the, the shortages which occur in Britain. Was there a generally positive reception to moving towards alternatives? I, I think obviously that there was some degree of reluctance amongst uh, a, a, a number of people, uh, but don't forget the the government's really uh, developing a very persuasive, comprehensive system of persuading us to uh, to cope in a reasonable way with the changes, to accept the fact that they're really beneficial for us, and under the idea of the fact that we're all doing it for the uh, the, the good of the war effort, then clearly the vast majority of people uh, would even endorse these directives in a fairly uh, significant way. Uh, the wartime rationing system was designed to ensure, uh, not necessarily always in practice, fair shares for all. It might be deemed to be fairer shares for all, rather than allowing uh, some people to lose out because of the fact they didn't have sufficient income. Clearly, it was the the, the, the message is that it's a, a people's war in, in which uh, everyone is going to be personally uh, engaged in the war effort, and that uh, uh, to encourage people that. Uh, making the sacrifices, it's got, they're, they're going to be equally shared amongst all members of the community. If we return to talk a little bit about that Dig for Victory campaign, the Ploughing Up campaign, because of the war, a lot of the farmers, a lot of the men had been sent away. So who was enlisted to help fill in these gaps with things like this? Certainly uh, some agricultural workers um, enlisted into the armed forces, but um, Large numbers are actually exempt from um, recruitment in, into the army. Um, but in terms of the labour supply, one of the vitally important contributions was made by uh, the Women's Land Army. And also, uh, in the latter stages of the war, um, POWs were directed in large numbers to work on the land in order to assist with the British food production. The, the, the um, 
Minister of Agriculture also organised uh, labour camps in the summer where uh, school children might be uh, encouraged to go uh, to, to work in the countryside uh, or even in some cases people were encouraged as volunteers to spend their holidays uh, working in the countryside uh, producing food for the nation. What would a day in the life of someone who took on a part in this new labour force look like? Well, for, for the Women's Land Army, uh, c- conditions were very tough. There was a considerable uh, number of farmers who weren't very keen to to employ them. They would work very long hours, often doing quite uh, monotonous tasks like singling crops, uh, thrashing uh, the corn, working uh, with livestock. The, the hours would be uh, uh, very long and uh, uh, often kind of like the work would be quite monotonous. The, the Women's Land Army did play a vitally important role in the war, particularly in the early stages of the war, and uh, the, the uh, prisoners of war were also uh, directed to work on the land. Some prisoners of war were actually deemed to be relatively safe and were allowed to uh, live with the farming family uh, in order to uh, assist with the day-to-day tasks. Builds a different picture from what I think I might expect of who was involved in the war effort. Yeah, um, I think that sort of the, the supply, uh, the, the mobilisation of additional sources of labour is a crucially uh, neglected aspect and uh, the, the conditions under which many people work, particularly the Women's Land Army, um, left a lot to be desired. But you spoke a little bit about um, Leicestershire and the Ploughing Up campaign. Could you tell us a bit more about it? Uh, well, the Ploughing Up campaign <coughs> focused on the idea of uh, encouraging farmers to plough up their grassland by offering them a financial incentive uh, to plough up land which had been left as permanent pasture for more than seven years. And as the Ploughing Up campaign was directed uh, by the state, uh, the aim was to actually plough up approximately 10% of the area of pasture land in each county every year. Um, Leicestershire was particularly uh, affected by the Ploughing Up campaign because in the 1930s it was mainly a a pastoral county devoted to uh, livestock farming and it was really called the the East Midlands counties which bore the brunt of the Ploughing Up campaign um, because of the fact they got a higher level, uh, a a vast amount of of pasture land. Um, The the wartime increase in, in our farm in Leicestershire was much greater than in virtually any other county. Were there any particular types of produce that were especially prioritised in this? Farmers were encouraged to uh, um, grow more cereals, in particular wheat, which was uh, an, an important source of uh, of um, feed, some, uh, increasingly used in terms of uh, bread making, but uh, because Britain produced soft wheat, it was uh, uh, used more for uh, biscuit making. Um, potato production uh, was increased dr- dramatically uh, during the war because potatoes produced large amounts of calories per acre and it was deemed to be an important uh, source of food which would keep Britain uh, going. Uh, the, the government developed uh, new recipes for potatoes. Uh, encouraging people to eat them in their jackets and developed a variety of ways in which they could be cooked and, in effect, encouraging people to eat what produce was readily available. How did this affect the relationship between agricultural farmers and agricultural workers and the government? Well, clearly the the, uh, the vast majority of farmers... Um, 
uh, went along with or were encouraged to go along with the uh, the, the wartime ploughing up campaign. There were quite substantial financial incentives to plough up additional land. There were substantially higher prices for arable crops, which also encouraged the this conversion. Uh, not everyone, uh, of course, uh, co- completely endorsed it. Some farmers were reluctant to plough up ground. Uh, what you might regard as marginal land, which was difficult uh, to cultivate. Um, But the vast majority of people, um, or the vast majority of farmers, certainly went along with the wartime directives. The the war really established modern agriculture as we know it today, and this was particularly noticeable in terms of mechanisation. Immediately prior to the war, there were about 56,000 tractors on farms. By the end of the war, there's 180,000. It really, tractors are uh, re- rapidly replacing horses during this period. It's developing perhaps a, a new mentality amongst the farming community where arable farming and cropping was now the order of the day. And it, it, after the war, this trend rapidly accelerated uh, as a result of um, the, the introduction of new scientific, more productive methods of farming, which were in- encouraged and rapidly adopted um, by the farming community in general. To build on that idea of long-term effects, were there any particular lessons that were learnt from this wartime experience? Uh, I think one of the most important lessons was the fact that the uh, uh, the, the state... Um, uh, had to adopt a new role in terms of uh, its relationship with with, with agriculture. Uh, it, it develops a, a system of encouraging production through the establishment of what were guaranteed prices, which becomes a, uh, one of the key features of the uh, the post-war period when guaranteed prices and financial incentives to encourage farmers to change became uh, one, one of the foundation stones of the, the new relationship. Uh, during the war, we began to adopt sci- more scientific approach to uh, to farming. It, it begins to move from kind of like a, a, a way of life to a, a business-style uh, system of management, with science increasingly playing a vitally important role in raising agricultural output and productivity. After the war, um, science is much more widely adopted by the farming community, and this explains why um, the the application of uh, herbicides, pesticides, uh, the use of artificial fertilisers revolutionises British agricultural production in in the post-war decades. Um, Agricultural production, um, it it continues to increase rapidly in contrast to uh, the uh, less impressive performance of what, what is taking place in the rest of Europe. What would you say is the impact of these efforts on Britain's war effort as a whole? Well, <clears throat> contemporary accounts tended to uh, eulogise, possibly slightly exaggerate the the, the achievements of the uh, of the food production campaign. Uh, the, the, the relationship between farmers and the state wasn't quite as harmonious as many accounts would have us believe. But, necess- but in essence, it really established the development of modern agriculture as we know it today. That was John Martin, Professor of Agrarian History and Honorary Research Fellow at the University of Leicester. You can find a piece by John on Britain's battle against starvation in the March issue of BBC History magazine, which is on sale now and also includes pieces on Stonehenge, President Nixon's trip to China and witch finders. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley.